Lent. You have a you have a background in Lent. Did you grow up with that? Uh, uh, did you have a, a church background where you were uh, engaged in that process? The, the forty days that precede Easter. A, a lot of people do, and you have different experiences with it. I know some of them uh, can be some of those experiences can be a little bit uh, heavy. Um, we, we we tend to look at it as a sort of a space and time where we just. Uh, allow ourselves uh, or even encourage ourselves into a little more margin in our life to connect with God, uh, to uh, allow him to speak into our lives and to anticipate and prepare for uh, the centerpiece, the, the, the glory of uh, the world, of the cosmos, of Christianity, of the human life. And that's this, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness and the redemption that we have in him, the eternal assurance that comes. We anticipate that uh, in six weeks. And in the meantime, we realize that our hearts uh, always need to be attended to in a way that allows us to appreciate and experience uh, Jesus more fully. So I'd encourage you to be involved in it. We're calling this series The, the, the Garden of God. And as you can imagine, it, uh, that uh, metaphor and that reality begins uh, in the Old Testament and the very beginning of the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Uh, we see uh, God... Uh, creating this garden, but it goes. It, it, it is is much bigger than that uh, one particular moment and that one particular garden of Eden. And we're going to talk about it uh, for the next six weeks. If you can imagine that there's enough to talk about, there is. Uh, you you might end up talking about it uh, with God and with others the rest of your life if we do uh, what God's calling us to do in looking at this particular uh, set of passages. Um, uh, so here we are, the series, Garden of God, beginning in Genesis, the beginning of uh, uh, the 40 days, uh, invite you into that space uh, with us. Uh, have you, do you know this photo here? Uh, do you remember this? It came out in uh, the summer of 2022, uh, it, the, the Webb's telescope. This is the deepest, most detailed photo, uh, I think probably that we still have, um, generated by the, like I said, the Webb telescope. And uh, the brightest spots that you see, the ones that have sort of the star look to them, right? You see a few at the bottom and one right in the center. Those are local stars. Local. <laughs> those are the stars that are closest to our sun. Every other spot and sliver and uh, arc that you see in there. And how many can you see? Yeah, each one of those is a galaxy with an average of 100 billion stars. <laughs> each one of those little spots of color is a galaxy with 100 billion stars on average in it. Some of them 100 trillion. The smallest have 100 million. <laughs> this is our universe. As far as we know, entirely uninhabitable, at least for us, except for the tiniest little grain of space, a little microscopic safe haven, especially for humanity. This vastness within it all. In fact, if you put uh, the, 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 the folks that are responsible for this uh, included this little nugget, if you were to put a grain of sand on your finger and hold it out at arm's length, 
that is what you're seeing in terms of what part of the universe. So you think what you're seeing there is amazing. And that's just one grain of the entirety. I mean, it is mind-boggling. And within it all, what I'm trying to say to you is there's this tiny little speck of space that God formed and placed humanity. It's pretty difficult to grasp. That alone is difficult to get our heads around. But imagine the life force that is so great to create all that and to encapsulate it within himself the vastest of which our minds cannot comprehend, that life force, that God, also comprehends humankind that would otherwise be utterly undetectable. Are you with me? <laughs> Here we sit. And he loves you. And he attends to you. And he created a space for you in the cosmos of space. It is no wonder the psalmist cries out the way he does. Alicia read it earlier. I'm going to read it again. Put yourself in the shoes of the writer. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. One approach to this morning's message, the introduction to the Garden of God series, is to sit here in silence and try to drink that in. The God of it all says to you and to me, I care so deeply about you. Truly, whether we can feel it at the moment or not, whether our circumstances would suggest that he does or not, we know that he does care deeply. This is what we're going to look at, the caring heart of God. We're going to explore this garden that he's created for us and look at it in such a way that it reminds us of how much he cares. We'll look at other gardens in scripture, well, metaphors about gardens. We'll get a full picture of the compassionate, protective, of God, protective God who created us and purposes us uh, within the creation, this little tiny sliver, this warm, well-lit, self-sustaining habitat has suffered some, some significant setbacks. But if you look at Genesis 1 and 2 carefully, as a foundation for the rest of Scripture, you're going to come away with a strong sense that God has not only made, but is making a safe place for human beings to dwell with him. <laughs> this is the other mind-blowing part, is having created all that and created this little grain, this little silver space for humanity, he wants to dwell with us in that little space. The garden of God. 
holds a special place in God's heart. And it's got a special purpose in which he calls us and desires for us to flourish within it. So let's look, all right? So here's Genesis 1. Um, and we'll get through most of this chapter and we'll, and we'll keep going, um, like I said, in the weeks to come. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's probably worth noting that what God created here is uh, what it's referring to, what the author is referring to, is not necessarily heaven. Like you might get confused with the eternal, you know, home of God and the eternal space that souls will be forever. Heavens and earth here doesn't mean uh, that or a globe. It means the skies and the land. Imagine yourself outside trying to uh, capture well, how God has created the world and you think he created the skies and the land, all of it. Everything I can see up there, everything I can stand on and touch down here, he's created it all. It's sort of a blank slate with just, you know, who's that, who's that ar uh, artist that's now famous again when he was famous in the 1970s for no particular reason? Uh, Bob, what's his name, right? Yep, there you go. He, he does, he's got a nice little sky and a nice little land. That's, you know, that's where we start. They all start right there. God's starting in the same place, the skies and the land. It's kind of an overview. And then we dig back into it. Number, verse two, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the waters. This is important to get this. Verse two, formless and empty. It's kind of a sing-songy little Hebrew thing, tovu vavohu. <laughs> Can you say that? Tovu vavohu. It just means wild and waste. Formless and empty. This is pre-creation. The surface of the deep, the deep abyss, more accurately, is basically saying the same thing. You've got this wild, formless, waste, pre-creation, non-existence, chaos, nothingness. No purpose, no order. It's a definition of nothingness. No order, no purpose. And the spirit of God was hovering. Okay, so you see, you can begin to imagine this chaotic, meaningless, orderless, formless, yet God is hovering. The spirit is hovering. What, what, when someone's hovering, does that bother you at all? <clears throat> it does. Why? Because if they're hovering, they're going to intervene right? You're trying to work and, and you're like, what? What is the next question? What do you want from me? What are you going to ask? What are you going to do? The same is true here. We have this chaos. We have this disorder and the spirit of God is hovering. We get a sense of something is going to happen. He's going to do something about this. And sure enough, he does. The creation account, as you know, is is a structured time thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe. We'll talk about that. It is part, but it's very different. In fact, the first three days and the second three days are kind of parallel and have different uh, uh, sense to them. The first three days have quite a bit to do with the part about being disordered. The first three days have a lot to do with order. The second three days have to do with filling up that new order or filling that structure. Let's look, right? In the very first one, he says, let there be light. And there was light 
and he saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and the darkness he called the day he called light, light he called day, and the not darkness he called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. He is basically setting up what here? Time. There's a, there's, there's a cycle here of, of time. In the, second ver- in the second part of this, verse 6, God says, let there be a, a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. The understanding in, in this ancient period was that not only was there water here, but there was water there, and the water there was held back by a dome. That God separated the water. It might look something like this. I think there's a little picture. It comes from the Bible project, right? The water, he separated the waters. There's a deeper understanding of what's going on up there now, but nonetheless, what we understood even then, what they understood is there is this space, this environment in which humanity's going to live. He sets up time, and he sets up a, a, an environment. You know, it's, it's not an aquarium, but kind of like there, there is this thing coming where we, we are eventually going to find ourselves and he has, he has mapped it out. The second movement is let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear, right? So now we know that the waters on the surface separate and move about in such a way that there is uh, dry land. And then on the third day, we have a little bonus creation, which is what? What comes up out of the land? Vegetation. Seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. It says seed twice. There's seeds in it. There's seeds. What's, what's the deal with that? Not only do we have an environment, separated waters, separated waters, dry land, vegetation comes out. The vegetation has a multiplication dynamic with it. You start to see that not only is there going to be a place to live, an environment in which we live, but that environment has some capacity to move and shape and grow. Pretty cool. Pretty cool space carved out in the middle of the cosmos. Boop, right there. Order. One, two, three. Structure. I was thinking about, like, would anybody argue with the general idea that people need order? I could think of a couple people in my life that I thought might argue with that. Do you know who I'm talking about? I mean, generally speaking, in your life, do you, do you know people that would be like, there's no purpose to order, and you can see it in their life, is what I'm saying. But I even, I, I, just, I just had a hard time coming up with anybody that would argue with the general idea that order is important. Not, not as an obsession, because I, I know some of those people too, right? Really ordered, super ordered. Or a life goal. Like it's not, it should be the goal of life to be ordered. But it's important. Are you with me? Our ability to work, to accomplish things, to succeed, Dramatically helped by structure, like a workspace. The first thing I always do when I need to start a project, whether it's a, an intellectual project or a physical project, is I clean up my workspace because I know that I'm going to do better if I get it set. Now, everybody's order is different. That You can have order, like my wife thinks she's ordered, and she is, but not in my opinion. 
But it's not because she's disordered. It's because her order is different than my order. So that seems disordered to me. But she has order, and you do, and other people do. Order is important. What I'm saying is it's not only, it doesn't only look the same. Like I said, I've always cleaned up my workspace before I got started. It was in college too, before I started studying. I remember one day thinking, I'm going to help out my roommate <laughs> and order his workspace. Because he had books and papers piled everywhere. I went to class. When I came home, he was literally standing on his desk, looking on the shelves, trying to find something. And I was like, what's going on? He goes, I don't know what happened. I knew right where it was. I came for it and it was gone. Where is it? And I was like, it's in alphabetical order right there on your second shelf under C for, you know, whatever. He's like, please don't ever do that again. I can't find it. This is how, our order is important to us. And we, we, we should maybe in some ways understand why. God is a God of order. He created structure. He created order. And he's designed us to live uh, within it. We're built that way. Some of us have a very, very hard time getting to order. I've heard that there's two kinds of perfectionists. The one that has everything in order and the one that can't get started. Like they would be, but they, it's just overwhelming. That tends to be a little bit more me. But we are built for structure. Maybe the question is, do you need some work there? Do you need some help? Do you, do you need, where, where could you benefit from some structure or some order? And, and do you need some help in that space? Because the reality is, if God is a God of order, and he's created us to be within it, and he's created us in his image, there is something valuable about it, and there's something that will be somewhat off in your life without a particular, at least a certain degree of order. There is, there is compassion that we can sense from God in the order. Or we, if we choose, we can see it. The commands of God, the, the, pres the prescriptions of life aren't there because he's a tyrant or a prison warden set on making your life miserable with a bunch of rules. He created you to live within the order of his creation. He loves you and he knows how you operate best. I've often said when we argue against the ways of God and buck up against those and try to live our own life, we're really no different than a fish saying, I want to live on the shore. I don't like the environment that you set up for me and all the things that you require of me. But the reality is what's created for us. If we're a fish and we decide we don't want to live according to that order, then we go up on, we die. He's like, listen, I created it for you. Live within it. And sometimes we just, we need some help. The negative effect of an unreasonable amount of disorder in your life creates a lot of other external problems, not exclusively external, but a lot of them and external. We become less efficient. We, we miss opportunities, sometimes the opportunities of God. Disorder can create quite a bit of interpersonal conflict. In fact, the closer that people are to your disorder, the more difficult it is to relate with them or for them to relate to you. 
They're just playing out, playing out safe safety issues. Social disorder comes about from disorder of individuals, and there's all sorts of things. It does eventually become internal, and you can feel it. All those external things that can't quite work right because of the disorder of my own personal life ends up hurting me internally. I, I lose my sense of peace, and I, and I oftentimes can even lose a sense of hope. My whole life is so chaotic, and I'm not making efforts to live in the ordered way of God and somewhere in my own life. We really can not only just lose sight of our own productivity, but we can uh, lose a sense of peace and, and a sense of existential uh, okayness, really. It's, it's crazy what happens. So is there a place where you need to obey God? If you've been ignoring a particular prompting of the Spirit to get that part of your life in order, do you need to introduce some habits and structures in your life? I'm 58 years old, and I've learned some stuff from a friend of mine. He's here today. I hope you get a chance to say hello to him. His name is Adebisi Adewenmi. You can call him BC. <laughs> He's helping this church in ways that you probably might not ever know, but they have a lot to do with um, operations and strategy. But in that process, he's also helping me personally with some of my own personal organization. And I'm learning stuff that the rest of you would say, that's kindergarten work, bro. <laughs> but it's taken me a long time to find the right system that helps me personally, and it has changed my life. I'm not lying to you. He's helped me find some structures that have otherwise been absent that are helping, and it's, and it's helping my mind and my heart. I just wonder if you need some of the same and if you might need help. I certainly did. Maybe it's spiritual disciplines. Maybe you need to start a daily devotion, or maybe you need to start a daily prayer thing. And don't make it complicated. I always get, I don't like it when people make the spiritual disciplines complicated. One of the easiest ones that was taught to me is pray when the garage door goes up and when the garage door goes down. How easy is that? Whoop, there it is. Pray for my day. Whoop, there it is. Pray for my family. Whoop, there it is. Pray for where I'm going. Whoops, pray for those I just left. Pray when the garage door goes up and goes down. That's a simple discipline. Maybe you need to pull out that blessed 10 list that we talk about and have talked about for years and years. Some order to who you, those that, you're, that are far from God and how you're praying for them and allow God to work. Maybe you just need to take a walk every now and then. You think about the creation of God, that he created the whole thing. Is it any wonder that people find God in the skies and the land? <laughs> he made them, right? Go for a walk, make it regular. Maybe you need to be in some more consistent biblical community. Maybe a serving rhythm would help for you. We, we created a website. Um, we, by we, I mean not me at all. I mean Danae, mostly. <laughs> And Adam has written some devotionals. Uh, and if you go to the website and just kind of scroll down, you'll find your way to the, uh, the, uh, the Garden of God devotional series that goes right along with everything we're teaching, and it'll walk you right through the 40 days. Uh, jump in there and make some commitments to those readings and that, that strategy. That would be a great thing. Order facilitates connection with our order-creating God. Am I, are you with me? I'm beating a dead horse. Let's move. Okay. 
Second set of three days, God fills up the order. Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. He created the sun and the moon and the stars, blasted them into the vault and they work with time, right? You see this sort of multiplying purposeful dynamic. Now within time, we have uh, these days that can turn into weeks, that turn into years and mark sacred times. There is history and there is hope. And within it, God has pressed in this reality that allows stuff to happen inside the time that we have. It's not just time. There's activity, there's movement, there's cycle, there's rhythm. And not just for the stuff, it sets up us, which we'll see in a minute. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. The fifth day, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. God creates creatures in the water, creatures for the sky. On the sixth day, similar to the third day, right? We put the land. It's kind of, you can see the parallels, right? Got the, you've got the uh, time and then you've got the sun and the stars and the moon put into that. And you've got the sky and the, uh, uh, the vault and you've got the creatures in the sea and the, and the sky. And then you've got the land and on the land, it, uh, out from the land and in midst of vegetation, there are creatures, livestock, animals. And then just like on the third day, there's a special edition Right? Remember the special edition on the third day was this vegetation with this multiplication dynamic within it. And what happens on the sixth day after the creatures are made, then God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and the livestock and the animals. There's something very special about humanity. But before we get to that, let me show you this picture also from the Bible Project that shows this sort of parallel deal. You've got time, late, late day. You've got the vault. You've got the land and the vegetation. And then filling the structure, stars, moon, sun, fish, birds, uh, humanity. With... And you find this in Genesis chapter 3. Just like the vegetation has the seed and the capability to multiply, so does man. And so not only is man created, not only is he special, or maybe in addition, maybe, maybe being defined how he is special, right? We see it um, in the poem of Genesis 1.27 and the following verse. Uh, Listen to this, one of the first poems about humanity. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them in his own image. Not only in the vastness of this cosmos, God created this garden, this space, this warm, well-lit, wonderful environment, habitat, teeming with uh, fruits and vegetables and an ability to provide sustenance and created animals and this humanity, this humanity he's invested in and implanted his own image, his own sense, his own DNA, if you will. Humanity is very special and we see it. In verse 31, what does God say? In all the other spaces of the days, he says at the end of it, this is good. Then he creates man. He said, this is very good. 
You get the sense that this is the culmination of it. And then in verse 1 and 28, you start to see how this beauty and this prominence and this specialness starts to evolve into purpose. God blessed them and said to them, and here's the multiplication piece, right? Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the creatures. There is something that God has implanted in us that makes us in his image, and there is something that he's planted in us, which is purpose to be involved in what he has been, what he's intending to be uh, doing. Humanity is very good. Earlier I said, I, I wondered whether or not every, everybody would agree with the idea that we, generally, that we need order. <clears throat> this is my question with regard to purpose. Do you realize that being made in God's image and given the opportunity to be a part of God's purpose, that there is no other purpose that gives the same significance and sense of well-being and hope that being involved with the purposes of God creates. None of us are very comfortable without a sense of meaning and purpose in our life. The question is, where do we go and what do we do to try to satiate that? And God's calling us into his purposes. We see this is part of what we'll do during a devotion. This, this creation moment, this garden of God isn't just the thing that we look at and they go, that's cool. The, all of the dynamics that are pressed into this space work themselves out in the rest of Scripture. And the purpose, it may be the central part of that. You, you see Jesus talking to Peter when he says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus says to his own disciples after he's poured his life into him and he's about ready to depart the fix, says, go and make disciples. And we see Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice, what, for himself, for prominence, for wealth, for fame? No, for the benefit of the rest of the world. God's breathed his image to, into us and he's placed upon us a purpose in alignment with his purposes. You have skills and you have passions and you have experiences, both good and bad, that God intends to use for his purposes in bringing about good for the world. He wants to use you and all of your specialness, all of your uniqueness to co-labor with him in the spirit of his own heart and the spirit of his son and the spirit of the spirit to gather humanity back to himself. The tragedy, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come, is that there's a, another force that enters into the garden that distracts and pulls humanity away from their creator. And God wants you back. He wants them back. He wants all of it back. And he's inviting those who are back to be a part of the purposes of gathering all of humanity and creating a space where we can, as his children, flourish. Not only now, but forever. Not just forever, but even now. God created this garden. It's got some problems. It's got some difficulties. But within the midst of it, God is calling his people 
to make the best of it and help create and help sustain this garden in a way that makes it a place where we can flourish. Maybe in short, I would say you are included in the image and in the purposes of God. <laughs> can you just, again, can you just say statements like that and move on? It's another one where you just have to sit still for a second and go, okay, God creates this little space in the middle of it all. Presses humanity, brings humanity into being within it, breathes himself into it, life and image, and gives purpose to them within it. That's us. We're included in the person of God and the purposes of God. <laughs> and we say that like, say that next time you're introduced in a circle of friends or something. When you're asked to talk about yourself, you know, hey, introduce yourself, your name, and, you know, what you're up to. Well, my name is Mike. I've been given the, um, the personality uh, and the presence of God and the purposes of God. Or you just sound like a, you know, a nutcase. But it's true. It's totally true. This is what we, this is what we have to grasp, maybe more than anything else, about the garden, as beautiful it is and as wonderful it is, we have to remember that humanity is the crowning achievement of the creation, which is you and me. I wanted to spend much more time on this, uh, but I knew I wouldn't be able to. Day seven is the most special day of them all. It seems like the wind-down period. And we will talk about this more next week. I, I don't have time to go into it yet. Maybe that's just the way God wanted it. I'm sure it is. We'll talk more about it next week. But here, here is the seventh day. He blessed it and made it holy. It's actually the goal of it all. Like it is that rest day where we're supposed to live now and forever. Jesus says, create the structure, filled the structure, created humanity, my image and purpose to, to help restore humanity and the flourishing of humanity. And then from this point, and, and then day seven, it would be like, and so we're all set. <laughs> That'd be another way to say it. Day seven, he said, we're all set. That's it. There's no more except to just to start carrying it out. But we are to live in this rest space. Presence of God. Basically saying to us, thereafter, from, that, from this day forward, he wants to dwell with us, in us, and through us. He wants to go along with us and bring us a continuous rest and a continuous peace within the beautiful garden that he's created and facilitate and perpetuate his order and his purposes within and throughout the forever expansion of that garden. Do you ever, do you ever make one of those, uh, I don't know what they call them these days, like a, when you were a kid, like a card table tent. 
where you get a blanket and throw it over the card table and you just go inside. There's something like that. Like we made a whole like tunnel systems in my house with those things. And ever since then, I've always really, really enjoyed set apart places that are warm and well lit and comfortable. Could be a corner in my home. It could be the mezzanine that I built outside our master bedroom. It could be uh, a vacation spot. We, we are inclined to go to these places where we feel protected and safe and warm and accompanied by someone that we love and cherish. And this is, again, because it's how God created us. This is his life for us to live with us at rest in this wonderful garden with all kinds of purpose. We need to talk about how to live in it and what to do, which is where we'll go from here. But let me leave you with a couple questions. <clears throat> Some application that maybe, maybe you've already got enough application, but here's just a little bit more for what we covered today. Be encouraged in the majestic power of God. Don't forget about what he is capable of doing. Here's the question. Where do you need to remember? He can do it. He can handle it. It's, your problem is not too big. His arm is not too short. Remember that God can make something out of nothing. What hopeless situation might need your continued faith? Consider your inclusion in the purposes of God to continue to bring about beauty and goodness. Your part. Paul says to the church in Corinth, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Where do you need to keep sowing? Where do you just need to keep watering? What situation seems hopeless? What, what relationship seems too far gone? Can you trust God that he's bigger than any of it and that you, your small part, whatever it is that you, where is it that you just need to keep sowing? Consider the fact that he spoke the whole thing into being and remember the image-bearing capacity of your words. Remember the proverb that says, the tongue is the power of life and death. Your words matter. God's words can create. Our words can bring life or death. Our words can bring something encouraging or something discouraging. Where are your words needed? Don't withhold them, give them. Who needs good words? Give them. The image of God lives within you. The words themselves probably don't matter as much as the spirit in which they're given. Maybe the biggest practicality of this thing is that we need to walk away from is the belief in the compassion of God toward humanity. The Genesis account is not mostly about how long it took. I don't know. The important, maybe 
the, the more substantial part, I'm not saying that's not important, but more substantial is to see the heart of God toward you, humanity and toward you in the midst of it all. The, the creation account asks if you believe in a God with the unimaginable power to breathe the universe into being. Do you? <laughs> the whole Christianity thing breaks down there if you don't. But also, can you believe in a God who created and cares about the humanity he created and the place he created for us? Do you believe he's a compassionate, human-oriented God who loved us to, and created a space for us and now dwells with us in it? The final touch of the garden we've already celebrated in communion. It is descending on himself incarnate into it to forgive us and to redeem us from all of our unbelief and all of our unkindness and all of our unwelcoming attitudes, all of our lack of initiative to be a part of his purposes. We, in our failure, are also saved in the garden by the Son. And this verse will take on new life for you. These verses, John chapter 20. You remember this? Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They said, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, you see what happened right there? Thinking he was the gardener, which he is. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she knew right away. What did he do? All he did was say her name. But he didn't just say her name. Right? He said it in a way that she knew him. The great gardener God that we have created it all, created you, and he knows you. He knows you. And he loves you. And he wants you to know him. He has created a restful place that's got some problems. And he's created a rest for you in eternity by sending himself into it to get us through. The question is exciting. What now? Let's keep talking. God, thank you for the garden. <laughs> thank you for being our gardener. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for invigorating us and giving us purpose. Help us to know you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.